Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing that kind of, you know, keeps me going every day is just, you know, for some reason I had the will never to give up. Like I, like I should have given up multiple times in this thing. And, and one thing about being a founder and, and starting a company is just the ability to be resilient. Um, you know, it, if you wait long enough, things will turn in the right direction. Uh, if, if you, if you work hard and, and think creatively and sort of keep going down the path, the path will the path will get good, and that's kind of where we're at now. It took a long time to get here, uh, but but we're excited for the future, and and that's all it takes is a little bit of, of resilience and and some good luck, and, and that's it. Welcome to DTCWTF, the podcast that delves into the biggest mistakes successful ecom founders have ever made and the lessons they learned along the way. Unlike other startup podcasts, we resent revisionist history and never shy away from the blunders, the mishaps, and the acts of God that nearly destroy a company. Rather, we celebrate these events as learning experiences that ultimately help define founders and their brands. I'm your host, Jake Sukoff, and I was sick and tired of listening to startup stories that glamorize entrepreneurship and leave out all the messy parts. By shining a light on the prevalence of this hardship, I hope to better prepare aspiring entrepreneurs for the extremely tough road ahead of them. Today, my guest is Justin Wiesahan from Macro Snacks. Uh, Justin, it is wonderful to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Jake, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you and kind of sharing some insights. Yeah, so uh, Justin Wiesahan, I have a pretty extensive background in retail CPG. Um, it's basically where I spent my whole career over the last 12 years. Um, Originally, I, I spent time in the electronic cigarette and vape industry, uh, founded a company there and did that for about seven years and left that company in 2017. Uh, not really sure where I wanted to go from that point. Um, so I did some consulting uh, in, the, in that industry, um, but always had this idea of a healthier chip in the back of my mind and just never really uh, decided to go for it until uh, 20, 2018. Um, you know, I had this idea for a high protein chip, um, being, you know, pretty active with my fitness and my health, uh, chips were my big weakness, uh, Doritos, Cheetos, bake, you know, Lay's, whatever, whatever. Okay, speaking my language now. Yeah. I mean, they, they were my weakness and they always seemed to throw me off of the numbers that I was trying to hit from a nutritional perspective, um, in my diet and my, in my workout regimen. So, you know, I went online, tried to find some type of product that would work. Uh, so of course I tried all the, all the brands that are out there, uh, that we all know, I won't name them because, you know, I just won't, <laughs> um, none of them really satisfied, uh, that, that crunch or that taste that I was looking for in, in a, in a healthier snack. Um, you know, we see a lot of consumers, you know, kind of go off on a tangent here a little bit, but you know, they try healthy snacks, they're not good. So then they stop eating healthy snacks or trying different types of brands that, that might taste better. So uh, my mission really was to, to create a snack that first of all, tasted really good, mm -hmm. right? Let's get the taste where it needs to be. Then we can work on the nutritionals where I think people kind of do that in reverse, right? They focus on the nutritionals and the taste just is what it is. And, you know, they think they have to accept it. Um, so I went the other route. I decided that taste was going to be top of mind and then we'll fit the nutritionals in second. And so that, that's kind of how Macro Snacks was born. Uh, we founded our nutritional profile based off of a balanced macronutrient uh, formulation. So 
that's a healthy blend of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Uh, so our, our chips have about 11 to 12 grams of protein, 15, to 17 grams of carbs and three and a half to four grams of fat. And, and that's pretty much a balanced macronutrient profile. Um, so really that was, that, that was the whole mission behind the company is, you know, there's gotta be a way to make these healthy, better for you protein snacks to actually taste good and, and, and want you to come back and, and buy some more. So, um, yeah, 2018, I reached out to a couple of food development companies that I found on Google. Um, you know, I have no food industry experience, no food industry background. Um, so found some companies on Google, talked to a bunch of them, honed in on one, and, and they sort of helped me through the research and development of the ingredient sourcing, uh, the manufacturing, and, and kind of get everything in line to get to a point where we have a formulation that we can then go try to make. Mm. Um, that's definitely something I want to dig into a bit more later in the interview, because I'm very curious, you know, that was going to be one of my follow-up questions is whether you had, is this your first company that you started and have you worked in the food industry before? So you, you already answered, you haven't worked in the food industry. Was this your first company that you started? No, so the electronic cigarette company, we started from scratch. Um, back in 2010, we started that company and, and we ran it for about seven years. Wow. Great. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's, let's talk a bit about the snacks and food industry because I'm really curious about somebody with no experience in that realm and getting up and running. Uh, I imagine food production has huge risks, huge challenges. Can you talk to me a little bit about what it was like starting – with what you just talked about, finding that partner that helped get you started and then getting into the R&D and formulation and manufacturing, packaging, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I think going in a little bit naive helped because uh, I wasn't afraid to ask questions because I, I didn't know anything. Uh, so, you know, that, that was important. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to ask questions. I wasn't afraid to tell people I had no idea what I was doing. I was just, I had this idea for a product and I wanted to see if we could get it to work. Um, so, I mean, when you talk about the R and D, you know, coming from an industry that R and D doesn't take too long, you know, this took a long time. Uh, I started, I started the process in April of 2018 and we had our first trial one run in June of 2019. Uh, so that, that's a big, big lag of time to kind of formulate, find the right suppliers, find the right production facilities. Um, and you know, it's just a lot more difficult, a lot more moving parts in the food industry than I, than I imagined. Um, and were you, you, working, know, not, you were working full time on that, that whole year? Uh, I was, I was consulting still in, in my past industry while, okay. while running all this. Um, so yeah, from, from an R and D perspective, like I said, it took a long time to just kind of figure out who we wanted to use, who we were going to get the ingredients from. Um, and then sending samples back and forth continuously trying to get the formulation and the taste to match up to where we wanted it to be. And so what's the order of operations there? Do you try to produce something in your kitchen and then send it off to manufacturers to build first? How are you, you know, or, or you're going to like a food scientist company first to help you build this formulation? Yeah. So I attempted to make this in my kitchen at first and completely failed. Uh, you know, going to Whole Foods and buying like pea protein isolate and like chickpea flour and trying to get things to go together. And like I said, I'd, I had no background, so I didn't know how to mix it. I didn't know, you know, what to use. So yeah, I, I, I did. I, I found a development firm that specializes in food science and ingredient sourcing. 
Um, and, and what we did is, is I told them what I was looking for uh, from a nutritional perspective. I said it had to taste really good. So we needed to use pretty bland ingredients to make the chips and then find seasoning suppliers that can make really bold, aggressive seasonings. Mm. Um, so from there, they went out and sourced uh, a couple different manufacturers for the chip base itself. Uh, and then once we kind of tried a different forms and, and, you know, factors like, a, you know, whether it's going to be a ball, whether it's going to be a chip, whether it's going to be a puff, uh, you know, we tried all of those things. Um, and then once we honed in on the base that we wanted for the chip, then we sent that base to seasoning manufacturers to then, you know, put your seasoning on it. Let us see how it's applied. Let us see, um, you know, what the coverage looks like and then send it back to us so we can taste it to make sure it actually tastes good. Uh, so that process took, like I said, uh, you know, that was about a six to eight month process after we got the formulation down in the first six months. So you get the formulation down, you find your partner. Um, how do you then solve the packaging problem? Is that the same partner that does that or you have to go then go to another third party uh, to figure that out? Yeah, so the good thing was the food group, the food scientist group that I used in the beginning, um, from a packaging perspective, are, are you specifically talking about like getting the nutritionals right on the product and the ingredients and all that kind of stuff, or just like finding a bag? Yeah, I mean the actual, you know, is it going to be in a tube? Is it a bag? How are you presenting this to consumers? Yeah, so we always, you know, I always had the the thought that it would it would be a chip bag, a single serve chip bag. So. Um, you know, we looked at like zip pouches and things like that, but the cost just didn't make sense to do that. And, and the product that we're trying to replace in people's lives are a bag of unhealthy potato chips. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to be able to replicate that experience as much as possible with the consumer. Totally. Um, how difficult was it? Was it difficult to navigate with the FDA? What type of insurance did you need? Licenses? Um, what was that like? Yeah, so the good news is the food science group that I used, um, they have an FDA compliance person on staff that handles all the FDA stuff for you. So everything from from building out nutritional profiles and, and nutrition labels to ingredient decks and and all the compliance that goes with that, they, they handled that for me. Um, and then from an insurance perspective, you know, it's it's typical recall insurance, product liability insurance. Um, again, they put me in touch with somebody that specializes in the food industry to be able to, to, to set up a policy that, that covers us. I'm sensing a theme here with, uh, with partners and finding the right partners. And I know that that was one of the things that you, uh, talked about in, uh, you know, the questionnaire that I sent over to you. So, um, just so important to emphasize how crucial it is to find people who are going to, you know, help prop you up and bring you through a process, especially as your new entrant into this space. So, yeah, right. yeah, it, it's, it's super important because as a startup, you know, you don't, you have limited capital, um, you have limited experience. So finding people that will help you knowing that you don't have a budget, like a major food, food company, you're not going to have uh, minimum order quantities that are going to fill every Whole Foods in the country to start out with. Uh, yeah, it's very, it's that's one of the most crucial parts of the process is finding partners that are willing to work with you with your limited scale and limited budget. Mm. What else am I missing? What what are some other unforeseen challenges that you to put up with specifically towards manufacturing a new food item? 
Yeah. So, I mean, one thing uh, you learn pretty quickly is that samples that you get from a supplier that are made by hand are not necessarily what's going to happen on a mass scale production run. Hmm. Um, So we went up to the manufacturer in April of 2019 and, you know, had the product samples and good. This is the product. This is what we're going with. Uh, We get up there to run it and it just comes off the line and it's, it's horrible. Like I wouldn't even give it to people in prison to eat. I mean, <laughs> it was hard as a rock. The seasoning wasn't coated. It, it was dry. It just, um, you know, it got to the point throughout the day, we made about 1200 pounds of this stuff and it's just coming out and coming out. And all I'm seeing are dollar signs going out the door. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those things where it, you know, it's that WTF moment, like, Oh my gosh, what did I just get myself into? Like, yeah. this is, this is ridiculous. How am I going to fix this? Uh, these are supposed to be the people that I trusted to help me do this the right way. Uh, and it was just horrible. Uh, I, I remember going back to my hotel room that night, calling my wife and saying, I, I, I don't know if we're going to do this anymore. Um, it's, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know who to call to fix this. And the product is terrible. <laughs> so walk me through that a little bit more. That's that sounds like an absolute nightmare. So you've been for now over a year. You're working with this partner to build out what you expect to be the fi- the final product, the one that's going to start to go into bags and and hit shelves soon. And uh, what is the reason that the final product was that you got was so different from the samples that you've been working with your partner up to that point? Yeah. So I think the main difference, like I kind of mentioned is that they were, the samples are are made in small batches by hand, right? Mm -hmm. So they, you know, manufacturers are good and partners are good, but they're also trying to get your business, right? So when they make a sample, they want to send you the best possible thing that they have um, from a production standpoint so that you're like, yep, this is good. This is what I'm going with. Then you find out later that, oh, well, you know, making 6,000 pounds is a lot different, uh, because, because of speed and time and all that stuff, uh, to do it at a mass scale, it just creates a different type of product environment. I guess I would call it the, the product ends up being in a different environment. It, it's faster. Um, and, and that, that's the main difference. I mean, it's spitting out, you know, 600 pounds an hour, um, versus them just making a batch by hand to send you a sample and, and I, I guess that got lost in translation. So I, I'm sitting there with the manufacturer on the floor and I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? I said, we, we just stop, like cut it off, cut, cut the machine off. We're, we're not doing any more. This isn't the product that I can sell to people. Um, you know, just, just stop. Let's regroup. So, so it, being a great partner, we regrouped in the morning. Um, you know, he, we kind of went through some different ingredients that we could use to, so I was explaining to him what I wanted the product to be like. I want it like the samples. He's like, well, it's not always going to come out that way. So what do you want? And I said, well, it needs to be a little bit softer because it's really, really hard. It needs to be a little bit more airy um, because the it's, it's, there's no puff to, to the base. Um, and then on the seasoning side, uh, it just came off really, really wet and soggy. Um, we need to get it more powdery, like, you know, like a Cheeto, like it just, it needs, all these things need to be fixed in the process. Um, and it can't a a soggy chip. That sounds like a horrible snacking experience. No, well, it got wet and then we would dry it again. So it went through the oven twice. So that's why it was hard because it was baked twice. Mm. Um, 
and then the seasoning's wet when it's going in the oven. So then it was caked on there kind of like, you know, goop. Um, so, you know, we sat down the next morning for a couple hours and we went through some different ingredients we could try that he thankfully is a large manufacturer. He has things on hand that, you know, he could use, uh, and try different things. So we did, we, we updated, um, some of the ingredients. We took some pea protein out. We added some soy protein in. Um, we added some tapioca starch to make it a little bit softer and we upped the chickpea powder. So, you know, we, we solved the problem um, after a very restless night's sleep on my end. But, uh, and then we changed some instruments in the, in the seasoning applicator, um, which made a world of difference. Uh, so it's, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's a learning on the job type experience and you never really know until you start it. Right. And that's, and that's one of the biggest things is, you know, you can think and you can try samples and you can try to understand what's happening, but until you get in it and get in the weeds, you know, you don't really know how it's going to come out and then you, and then you have to adjust. And, and I think that's the biggest thing from a founder's perspective is you got to be willing to adapt. You got to be willing to adjust and nothing's ever going to go like you think it's going to go. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that flexibility is so crucial in being an early stage company, especially an initial uh, product run. I can't imagine how much stress is going into that to, to begin and then to have something like this happen on your very first run. It's got to be heartbreaking. So, so walk me through this now. So you have gotten however many hundreds of pounds of product that is just subpar. What do you do at that point? You went to your manufacturer you you made all these adjustments so you know that the new formulation will actually hopefully be closer to what you're looking for but then what do you do with all of this product that you had produced is that just wasted is that just get it gets thrown out yeah so interesting i didn't want to waste it right because i'd already prepaid for this run i mean that product is paid for it mm. throwing it in the trash just didn't make sense to me um so thankfully my food science group, they also have a consumer research arm to their company where they can touch about 500 to a thousand consumers in a given time um, for taste testing and, and, and product feedback and analysis and things like that. So what I wanted to do is, you know, the product wasn't bad, like it's edible, right? It just wasn't where I wanted it to be. So it wasn't good enough for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it wasn't like, I, I wasn't going to buy it if it wasn't my product. Um, but I also wanted to validate that what I was thinking was correct. Right. Because I, I don't have anybody to help me validate that. I, I have, I have business partners, um, you know, and I have family and friends, um, but family and friends don't always tell you the truth. They're going to tell you it's great because they want to encourage you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I also wanted to validate my thinking on where I wanted the product to be. So I took all that product, we put it in bags and I shipped it to the food science group to their consumer research arm. And, you know, within three weeks, they had me scheduled to do a thousand person taste test with that product. Wow. Um, and I wanted, you know, we, we lined up all the questions that I wanted asked, you know, that I was thinking about, about the product. And, and when we got the results back, it, it, it validated my thinking of, of where we were at. So you know, it, it's one of those things where as a founder, you get so tunnel visioned with your product because it's yours and, you know, you want it to be good for you. But at the end of the day, it's also got to be good for the consumer. So being able to use that, what I thought was bad product and use it 
and give it to consumers to try to validate, you know, where I was thinking and where I, I saw the product heading um, was huge because, because then it, it, it helped me realize that I made the right choice. What a great story in being adaptable and, and talk about turning lemons into lemonade. I mean, taking that and using it to derive insights that can then push your business forward in a way that you might not have been able to do before. It's just, it's inspirational. It's awesome to hear. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I knew I couldn't, I could have sold it. I, I didn't want to sell it. So I had to find another way to use it. And I, I thought that that was the best opportunity is uh, get the people who will be buying it to give feedback on that product and help validate our thesis going forward on where we want the product to be. So when you sent this to your partners to then put out to these, um, this taste testing group, are these people who you then have uh, a touch point with down the line or are they, they're only used for this one sampling trial and then you don't get to talk to them again? Yeah. So the way that they build out their uh, survey groups is random. So we don't get any data from that. Mm. Um, but we can always go back to them and run more. And we did. So once we reformulated the product and reproduced the product, you know, we sent it again. Um, and we said, you know, we want feedback on this product now and find ways to make it better. And then we did, we made it better again. Um, so really what's on the market today is the third iteration from, from where we started back in April of 2019. And that's, that's one thing that, that we always want to continue to do is we want to keep getting the, the product can always be better. Mm -hmm. um, so we think we have a really, really good product on the market right now. Uh, our reviews tell us that our customers tell us that every day, but, but we're still striving to make it even better. Mm. You mentioned earlier when we were speaking about, I asked you what was one piece of advice you'd want to give to people who are starting off in the, the food sector. And you said it was super important to own your product, the formulations, the recipes, the process, whatever proprietary uh, tools you need to make it your own, as opposed to maybe having a third-party service uh, white label it for you. Um, what if you're just in a rush to get started? You need something, you know. I'd love to hear more about your mindset on white labeling. Is this something that you know somebody could consider doing before pivoting to their own formulation, or you think, without a doubt, you need to start with your own thing, and that's always going to be the case? Yeah, so I think there, the way I think about that uh, white labeling versus having your own is, you know, if you white label, then you have to build a brand. If you don't white label and you build your own formulations, then your product helps build the brand. Mm. Um, does that make sense? So if you go to a bar manufacturer that's already making bars for 15 other companies, what's going to separate you from those 15 companies? It, it's going to be the brand. Yep. Um, right. So you have to be really good at brand building. You have to be really good at telling and building a message around that brand. But if you have a good product with a good brand, then that product should sell itself. And then in, the, in turn, will build the brand. Gotcha. So where can, uh, where can people find macro snacks right now? Are you going just direct to consumer or are you also doing the retail route? Yeah, right now we're direct to consumers. You can find it on our website at snackmacro.com. Uh, we're also on amazon.com. Uh, and, and that's it for now. We are working on some retail expansion in 2021 that we're pretty excited about. Uh, just don't have any news on, on those relationships yet. 
uh, and yeah, we're just continuing to to build and, and bring on some partners and hopefully get this thing gets thing going in the right direction. Operational issues as a result of it. Uh, we did back in June, so we sold out in June um, from that second batch of run that we did, and our manufacturer was shut down. Uh, so we had like an eight week gap where we were sold out of product before we could manufacture again. So we got product back in late August. Uh, we're just driving all that product out the door now. That's awesome. That's awesome. What else? Is there uh, something that I don't know enough um, that I should have asked you? What else would you like to share with people about your journey, about um, macro snacks, about anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the one thing that kind of, you know, keeps me going every day is just the, you know, for some reason I had the will never to give up. Like I, like I should have given up multiple times in this thing. And, and one thing about being a founder and, and starting a company is just the ability to be resilient. Um, you know, it, if you wait long enough, things will turn in the right direction. Uh, if, if you, if you work hard and, and think creatively and sort of keep going down the path, the path will path will get good and that's kind of where we're at now it took a long time to get here uh, but but we're excited for the future and and that's all it takes is a little bit of, of resilience and, and some good luck and, and that's it spoken like a true early stage founder <laughs> grit and determination wins over all every time awesome well uh justin i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today um it's an inspiring story. I think that people can really learn a lot about your uh, ingenuity in pivoting and being able to take something that could have been a complete disaster and turning it into uh, a win for you guys. The ability to get those insights and then use it to, you know, not just uh, prevent a huge loss of capital, but actually use it to, you know, as business intelligence to figure out where to go next. It's, it's, it's inspiring. So I appreciate you sharing your story with us today and best of luck with macro snacks. Yeah, Jake, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time and, and, and listening to my story. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Pleasure. Take care. All right. You too. Bye. This episode of DTC WTF was brought to you by Uppercase Brands. Uppercase Brands is a technology-backed e-com agency that's offering bold solutions for brands rated at 10x their growth. As a busy founder, your job is to focus on getting your products into the hands of the people who love them. Let Uppercase focus on building your website and acquiring customers. Built by former Facebook and Google employees, Uppercase Brands has deep technical experience and is always focused on what's most important, building sustainable growth engines to increase their clients' revenues. They specialize in custom Shopify development, paid ad management, and conversion optimization. In an effort to give back to the Shopify community, Uppercase is picking one lucky merchant to build a full suite of Facebook and Instagram ads for. Apply by visiting www.uppercasebrands.com slash DTCWTF. Again, www.uppercasebrands.com slash DTCWTF.